following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. While you do that, I want to thank Pastor Jordan for second invitation. It's great to when you're invited back somewhere. That means you didn't mess it up too badly on the first one. Uh, this morning, I want us to talk about a guy with a funny name, Mephibosheth. Any of you... Uh, Expecting? If you're thinking about guys' names, Mephibosheth, huh? No, probably not. I'll explain why. He doesn't get a lot of press, but he does. He's in the Word of God, and uh, there is no such thing as Bible trivia. If God meant it to put it in His Word, it's not trivial, it's important. Even those genealogies... Right? Even the book of Leviticus, amen? I know some of you have started in January on Genesis, Exodus, and then your Bible reading ship has crushed against the rocks of Leviticus. But, Second Samuel 9, starting in verse 1, the Bible says that David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. For the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, you shall, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall still Till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands to his servant, so will your servant do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. I don't know why his parents named him that. But growing up, I put a lot with kids who made fun of my name. Not Tiberius, but Ratsa. I was born and raised in Romania. When Romania was under communism, and my last name means duck. Not muck. <laughs> duck, like, like the bird. So growing up, kids made fun of me all the time. Quack, quack. You know, Donald Duck, all these stuffs. So when I came to the United States, I was happy because nobody knew what Ratsa meant. They actually thought I have a cool name. They thought Tiberius was a, a cool name. In Romania, it's just a normal name, like Jordan. <laughs> did, did kids make fun of your name growing up? Kind of? Not Jordan, the mock part. It's a very long story. We don't have time for it this morning. Thank you. <laughs> I lived in Southern California when I came to the States, but I found out that even Americans, some of them, named their kids funny names. Apparently because of something called the hippie revolution, in Southern California, people would call, uh, name their kids Seafoam, Panache, Purple Haze. I actually, a lady told me that she gave birth to a son and at the hospital with her was another lady who gave a birth to a son and named him Zippo because from the lighter because she liked to smoke. Isn't that sad? But I was very happy that nobody knew what my name was, but then I found out that these, all these people were naming their kids funny names, and I, I heard about a story of a kindergarten teacher who was very surprised when she came to her classroom on the first day of kindergarten, and one of the children was named... Fruit stand. But, you know, she's a kindergarten teacher, so she wants all the kids to feel welcomed and uh, valued. So he treated, he treated the fruit stand just like he treated Peter, Anna, Jordan, and uh, Seafoam. So he, she would say, would, would you like to play with the blocks fruit stand? Would you like a snack fruit stand? And by the end of the day, fruit stand was normal. Just as normal as Jordan and Seafoam and Purple Haze and Peter. And then at the end, when it's time for the kids to go, she remembered that he instruct, she instructed the parents to put on the name tag the name of the child, and on the other side, their bus stop. <laughs> hey, don't get ahead of me, please. <laughs> Stay with me. So she turned the name tag over, and he read Anthony. <laughs> His name was Anthony. 
His bus stop was the fruit stand. <laughs> this morning, we're looking kind of at a funny slash sad story of Mephibosheth because his name means from the mouth of shame, and his bus stop is nowhere. And I'm not making that up. The Bible actually tells us that, that he lives at Lodabar. Lodabar in Hebrew means nowhere, no thing. Literally, he lives in nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, if you, if you want to put it that way. But this story is not so much about Mephibosheth as about the kindness of David to Mephibosheth. See, if you look at the history of David, King, this is, by the way, two chapters before 2 Samuel 11, David sinned with Bathsheba. If you read the first part of 2 Samuel, David can do no wrong. God is with him always. 2 Samuel 8, 14 and 15 summarizes it like this. And the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all people. So David receives all this graciousness from God. And now he says, hey, I want to show it to others. And that's what people who understand grace do, right? You understand what God has done for you, and then you want to show it to others. That's what people who understand grace do. So verse 1 in chapter 9, he says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Verse 3, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Where is he? He's in Lodabar. So his, his name is from the mouth of shame, and his bus stop is nowhere. And I like his story because his story is my story, and it's your story. You see, before we understand it, we, we need to understand that Mephibosheth had a really, really bad day when he was five years old. I want to argue that one of the worst days of his life was when his daddy never came home. See, his daddy was Jonathan, son of Saul, friend of David. In 1 Samuel 31, 1, we are told that the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Aminadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. When I was a kid, I, I used to play with, uh, back in Romania, I had a little soccer ball, and I would kick her out, kick it in the house, and bounce it back to myself, and look down the street to see when my dad would come from work. And whenever, whenever I would see him come from work, I would run to him. And I want to imagine that that's what Mephibosheth liked to do. Wait for his dad to come home from his many battles, but on that day, he never came home. Not only, if that's not, worth, if that's not bad enough, He became crippled on the same day. Look at Second uh, Samuel 4.4. 4. Not only his daddy never came home, but he became crippled on the same day. Second Samuel 4.4. 4. The next slide, please. Jonathan 
the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. And now we are told how he became crippled. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and she fled in her haste. He fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So what the narrator is trying to do is to set up the story that this guy, not only is he, does he have an awful name from the mouth of shame, but from a social perspective, he has an awful name. From an economic perspective, he's unemployable. From a religious perspective, he cannot go to the tabernacle because he's considered unclean. From a historical perspective, he's a has-been. Oh, his grandfather used to be the king. Not anymore. But imagine in one day, his daddy doesn't come home and he becomes crippled in his feet. A one-two punch that would bring anybody to his knees. And if the story would end up here, it would be a sad story, wouldn't it? But all that changes when the king comes calling. See, he lived nowhere. Again, we can say his, his, his name was from the mouth of shame and his bust up was nowhere. But that changes when the king's, king comes calling. And I want to argue that the best day of his life was when King David asked that question, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So I don't know what version you're using of the Bible, but that word kindness, I don't know how it's translated in your version, probably loving kindness or loyal love, whatever it is. It is a Hebrew word that I want to teach you this morning. I usually don't like to teach Greek and Hebrew words, but I think this one is important and is one word that you want to know for the rest of your Christian life. It's the word kindness that in the New Testament, it's translated agape love, you know, that sacrificial love. In the Hebrew is chesed. Repeat after me. Chesed. Very good. Chesed is the word translated kindness. And I want you to follow it in our story. Because it's a very important word. David experienced God's chesed, loving kindness to himself. And now he wants to show it to others. Actually, if you look in, this, in Exodus when Moses describes God. When God is described in Exodus, he's described exactly with those words. Exodus 20, verse 6. A God who is showing chesed, loving kindness, kindness to a thousand generations. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in chesed. That's God. So now David, who experienced chesed and kindness, wants to show it to other people. Not only is David inquiring about him, but he's sending for him. 2 Samuel 9.5 Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Now, a lot of time has transpired. From the time when he became crippled, he was five, remember that? How old is he now? We don't know. But we know that he, he himself has a son at this time. We know that because verse 12 tells us that Mephibosheth himself has a son. So we can assume that Mephibosheth is at least in his 20s. He's not at the court, at the royal court. He's at Lodabar. He's nowhere. So I want you to imagine that you're the former king's grandson, and the king is asking you to come to the court. 
to Jerusalem, what would you think? Would you be scared? I would be. Because I know back then, when a king would come to the throne, he would kill everybody else from the previous administration. So he would eliminate all the threat from the, from the throne. So I don't know what Mephibosheth was thinking, but he comes. And one of the first things David says to him was, do not fear. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because he's probably afraid. He's probably afraid. I'm certain that his heart raced and his breath shortened. But I know that what he got, he never expected. He experienced David's forgiveness. Verse 7. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. servant." And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. I will show you chesed. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land of your soul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Do you remember from the story of David what Saul was trying to do to David? Remember? Saul tried to kill David. Not once, not twice, but for many years, David was on the run. But instead of David getting even, he forgives. That's why I like the story, because Mephibosheth's story is, is my story. I have experienced forgiveness. Imagine David caught between murder and mercy. What's he going to do? Is he going to murder Mephibosheth, or is he going to show him mercy? And on this day, David showed chesed, grace and mercy, and loving kindness. Mephibosheth receives David's forgiveness, but not only that, he receives David's fortune. Verse 7 also says, And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father. Now let me ask you, Saul's lands belong to whom now? To David. It belonged to David, so there we see David caught between greed and grace. Do, we, do I keep it for myself or do I give it to another? And on that day, David chose grace. On that day, David chose kindness and chesed. And wanted to show that to Mephibosheth and said, they're going to be all yours. The king returned to Mephibosheth, the farmland, the orchards, and the cattle. Mephibosheth receives David's forgiveness. He receives his fortune. And also he receives his fellowship. Verse 7 also says, you shall eat at my table always. I like Mephibosheth's response. Mephibosheth doesn't say, uh, well, king, uh, I'm glad you found out where I lived. It's about time you come and give me what's, what's mine, right? No. He notices his response. What is your servant that you should show regard for the dead dog such as I? Dog, D-O-G, not D-A-W-G. For those, for those of you young people who know 21st century English. David says, you should eat on my table always. And implicitly with that, he receives David's family. Because verse 11 tells us, Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Notice it doesn't say at the kid's table. You guys have one of those at home? You know, everybody eats and then the kid's table. No, no, no. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I want you to imagine that table, the royal table where David, David has his royal table 
we'll, we'll imagine is something like this. I want you to imagine a royal table. Like when we take communion, that's a royal table. And the king is inviting us to his table, right? I want you to imagine that before that, about a thousand years before that, when Solomon was young, he ate at that table. What does the Bible say about Solomon? Was he smart? Yeah, he started out well, very smart. The wisest man in the world. God gave him that wisdom. Who else sat at David's table? Tamar. How is Tamar? What does the Bible say about Tamar? Was she beautiful? Yeah, she was beautiful. What about Absalom? You guys remember by the, name, the guy by the name of Absalom? What does the Bible say about Absalom? From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Is that good looking? I would say that's good looking. The Bible says that. And I want you to imagine that those are the types of people at the, at the table. So I don't know if, if Mephibosheth came with his uncoordinated movements or someone brought him, but he comes to the table and he says to himself, there are the smart and the good looking and the beautiful. I don't belong. And the king says what? You eat at my table anyway. That's grace. That's loving kindness. And that's why I love this story, because his story is my story and your story. We see when we have communion, we don't belong at this table. We are like Mephibosheth. We have a bad name. We're children of darkness without Jesus Christ. And our bus stop, you know what it is. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And Jesus comes and says, you sit at my table anyway. Not because of what you have done, but because of what my son has done for you. Next time you do communion, treat it. Treat it like that. What's wonderful about the story is that Mephibosheth doesn't just get his bus stop changed. He gets moved from nowhere to Jerusalem. The king changes his zip code. The king changes his bus stop, but he also changes his name. If you read the Bible further, Mephibosheth gets a name change. In the history book of Chronicles, he is not called Mephibosheth. He's called Mary Baal. From the mouth of shame gets a name change to him. He comes from the mouth of the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That happens to us. From the children of darkness, we, when God receives us into his family, he changes our name to children of God. 1 John 3, 1. Isn't that wonderful? So now God is calling us to look for our own Mephibosheths and to find, to give them grace and mercy and to, to show them kindness. Why was David so gracious to Jonathan? Twice we are told. Twice we are we're told in this chapter, chapter 9, because David was kind because of Jonathan's sake. Remember, David and Jonathan became best friends. Remember that? It's in, it's in the, the book of Samuel. Read 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 18. After David kills Goliath, David becomes like one of the family. 1 Samuel 18. We're told as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. 
and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant. Another key word. He made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. So the reason David is kind to Mephibosheth is because he made a covenant to Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 and 15. Jonathan says to David, If I am still alive, show me chesed, show me steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love, your chesed, from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Why? Why is David so kind? Because of a covenant made to David. David made a covenant to Jonathan. As I said before, this story is my story and it's your story because if you think about it, those of you who gave your life to Christ, what do you gain when you give your life to Jesus Christ? Look at this slide that shows it. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we get exactly what Mephibosheth got. We get forgiveness. We get fortune. And I don't mean a piece of land in the, in the Middle East. I mean heaven. Isn't that much better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We get fellowship. You know what we have when we come here together this morning? Fellowship. And I can tell you I've been to Romania this summer. I take a group of students to work in an orphanage there. And you know what? I go to church. You know what we have? Fellowship. I have brothers and sisters everywhere on this planet because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I have a family, brothers, sisters. I can sit at the communion table in any part of the world and we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if Jesus Christ is now your Lord and Savior, you're missing out. You're missing out. First of all, if Jesus Christ is now your Lord and Savior, you don't have forgiveness. You, you live with the weight of your sin. That must be miserable. That must be hard. If Jesus Christ is now your Lord and Savior, you don't have heaven waiting for you. You don't have this fellowship and family. You have friends for a time, but not for eternity. And we have to ask, why, why did Jesus do this for us? It's also because of a covenant. It's called a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, when God says through the prophet, Behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will Make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So when Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper, you know what he says? This is the blood of the new covenant. This is, we, we are not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. Isn't that good news? It's good news. You can go to lunch and have shrimp and bacon. <laughs> By the way, for those of you who are doing the essential oils, that's a good thing. My favorite essential oil, um, bacon grease. That's, that's good. Try it. it. It really works. Yeah. 
But when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he says this is the blood of the new covenant. And then when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he inaugurates the new covenant. And God has shown his grace to us. And now we are asked to go and look for our own Mephibosheth. So I want to ask you, who is your Mephibosheth? To whom can you show the loving kindness of the Lord? I'm sure you can find someone who's less fortunate than you to do that. I'm going to close with this illustration by uh, Beth Moore. I'm assuming you guys know Beth Moore since you have a women's ministry. You do? No? Okay. All right. Sorry. Beth Moore, a Christian author. She has this experience in the Knoxville airport on April 20th, 2005. She's in the airport and she writes, I tried to keep from staring, but he was such a strange sight. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones, dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. He knees, his knees protruded from his trousers and his shoulders looked like the coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands looked like tangled masses of veins and bones. The, the strangest part of, of him was his hair and nails. Stringy hair, stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down part his back. His fingernails were long, clean, but strangely out of place for an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could, discomfort burning my face. There I sat, trying to concentrate on the word to keep me from being concerned about this thin slice of humanity served on a wheelchair only a few seats from me. I immediately began to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit and I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh no, God, please no. Don't make me witness to this man. Not here, not now. Please, I'll do anything. Put me on the same play, but don't make me get up here and witness to this man in front of this gogging audience. Please, Lord. Then I heard it. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear, my Heart leaped into my throat and my thoughts spun like a top. Do I witness to the man or do I brush his hair? I stumped again as clearly as I've ever heard an audible word. God seemed to write a statement across my mind. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. I stumbled over to the wheelchair, thinking I could use one myself. I knelt down in front of the man, and I asked as demurely as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? Face crimson and forehead breaking out in a sweat, I watched him look at me with an absolute shock on his face and said, If you really want to, are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to. But God didn't seem interested in my, pre in my personal preference right about then. 
He pressed on my heart until I could utter the words, Yes, sir, I would be pleased. I stood up and started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean, but it was tangled and matted. I don't do many things well, but I must admit I've had noticeable experience in tangling knotted hair, mothering two little girls. Like I'd done with either Amanda or Melissa in such a condition, I began brushing at the very bottom to the strands, remembering to take my time not to pull. A miraculous thing happened. To me, as I started brushing that old man's hair, everybody else in the room disappeared. There was no one alive for those moments except that old man and me. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of that hair. His hair was finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back in the bag, went around the chair to face him. I got back down on my knees, put my hands on his knees and said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, I do. Well, that figures, I thought. He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, you see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open heart surgery. And she's been too ill to come and see me. I was sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Our time came to board and the airline hostess returned from the corridor, tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, that old man sitting on the plane sobbing, why did you do that? What made you do that? And I said, do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing. <laughs> I learned something about God that day. He knows if you're exhausted because you're hungry. You're serving in the wrong place or it is time to move, but you feel too responsible to budge. He knows if you're hurting or feeling rejected. He knows if you're sick or drowning under a wave of temptation. Or he knows if you just need your hair brushed. Her name was Beth Moore. Her bus stop was Knoxville, Tennessee. What's your name? And what's your bus stop? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.